Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Neurology Podcast. My name is Nikolai Humphreys. And I'm Heather Brown. In a moment, we'll hear from Dr. Joseph Dalmau to discuss his latest publication describing the clinical and pathological features of anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. But first, Heather, apart from that original research paper, what else is going on in the latest issue of the Lancet Neurology? quite a lot. Um, Also in the issue we have the results of INSTINCT which is a cluster randomised trial of an intervention to increase the use of alteplase for acute ischemic stroke in community hospitals. We have the results of a randomised trial testing whether memantine is effective in patients with frontotemporal labour degeneration and we have an observational study describing clinical, neurological and electrophysiological features of children with nodding syndrome in Uganda. And we have reviews on diagnosis of acute neurological emergencies in pregnancy and postpartum, on the clinical features, diagnosis and treatment of human African trypanosomiasis or sleeping sickness, and on epigenetic mechanisms in multiple sclerosis. And we also have a personal view on biomarkers in Alzheimer's disease, which provides an updated hypothetical model of how biomarkers change in relation to each other and to the onset and progression of symptoms. Excellent. Thank you for that whistle-stop tour of the February issue of the Lancet Neurology. Let's now go to the interview. Earlier this week, I caught up with Dr. Joseph Dalmau, research professor at El Idebaps Hospital Clinic in Barcelona, to discuss his latest research on anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. I started by asking him to tell us exactly what this newly diagnosed disorder was. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you, Nikolai, for the uh, interview for this podcast. Um, to start with your first question, anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis is an autoimmune inflammatory disorder of the brain that associates with antibodies against the glutamate receptor N-methyl D-aspartate, abbreviated as NMDA. About 80% of the patients are young women and about 40% are children. Uh, Many patients have prodromal symptoms that resemble a viral-like illness uh, with frequent headache and fever and other symptoms that are usually mild. And several days later, they developed abnormal behavior and severe psychiatric symptoms to the point that initially they can be considered to have a psychotic break. And this is usually followed by memory deficits, cognitive and speech problems, seizures, decreased level of consciousness, abnormal movements, and autonomic dysfunction, including here tachycardia or bradycardia, fluctuations of the blood pressure, or breathing problems. The the patients develop uh, central hypoventilation that uh, requires frequently ventilatory support, and this occurs in about 50% of the patients. They are hospitalized for several months and require multidisciplinary care and prolonged uh, rehabilitation. Women with the disease often have an ovarian teratoma that contains nervous tissue and also expresses the NMDA receptors and likely contributes in, in triggering this disorder. Thank you, Joseph. Okay, could I ask about the, um, the main aim of this new study and what exactly you've done? Yes, this study follows a previous large series of 100 patients that we published in Lancet Neurology in 2008. 
describing the main features of the syndrome and the identification of NR1 subunit of the NMDA receptor as the target of the antibodies. And we showed also that many patients had good outcome despite being in intensive care for many weeks or months. Uh, it also strongly suggested that the study the benefit of removing the tumor and using immunotherapy. However, the presentation of the disease in children and adults was not defined there, and there was no systematic analysis of the usefulness of immunotherapy and long-term outcome. Since then, other small series and single-case reports suggested that some patients may develop only seizures or only movement disorders or psychosis, but the frequency of these cases with isolated symptoms was unclear. So to answer all these questions, we designed the, we designed the, the corona study, which includes 577 patients whose serum and spinal fluid were examined by us. About 100 of these patients were seen by, by the authors, and the information of the others was provided by their physicians and families. The patient's neurological status and treatment and outcome were assessed regularly up until two years. And we then analyzed uh, this data with uh, other statisticians. Would you be able to give us a summary of some of the key findings? Yes. The, the current study clarifies that the height predominance of women does not apply to patients that are younger than 12 years or older than 45. In these age groups, about 40% of the patients are male. There is also an age and gender and ethnic-related association with the presence of a systemic tumor. Tumors are extremely uncommon, for example, in patients younger than 12 years and in men. But about 46% of women older than 12 years have an ovarian teratoma. In this study, we also show that African-Americans and Asians are more likely to have an ovarian teratoma than patients in other ethnic groups. And we also show that tumors other than teratomas are very infrequent. The study shows also that in children, the very first symptoms are often seizures or abnormal movements instead of the high predominance of psychiatric symptoms in adults. However, Within the first four weeks of the disease, most patients develop, developed a, a similar spectrum of symptoms irrespective of their age. The second part, and probably the most important, relates to treatment and outcome. And we studied 501 patients with follow-up of more than four months. In fact, the median follow-up was 24 months. Most of these patients received first-line immunotherapy, defined as steroids or intravenous immunoglobulins or plasma change, alone or combined, and tumor removal when, when appropriate. 50% of these patients had good response to this first-line immunotherapy. And the good news is that at the two-year follow-up, up to 97% of these patients had an excellent outcome defined as a score of 0 to 2 in the modified ranking scale. The, the main challenge was posed by the other 50% of the patients, those who did not respond to first-line immunotherapy. 
And in these, about 60% of them received second-line immunotherapy, which includes rituximab and or cyclophosphamide. And the other 40% did not receive these treatments. These patients either continued on first-line therapies or had no further immunotherapy. And it's important to mention here that all these patients had a similar poor neurological status, and the choice of the second-line therapy was based on physician's preference, family acceptance of potential side effects, and availability of the drugs. The study demonstrates that patients who received second-line immunotherapy did significantly better than those who did not. Second-line immunotherapies were also very well tolerated, and overall, 81% of all the patients of the study had full or substantial recoveries. In multivariable analysis, the factors that associated with good outcome included early treatment and no need of admission to the intensive care unit. Also, the use of second-line immunotherapy was found to be an additional factor for good outcome. The proportion of patients with good outcome improved up until 18 months. In the 177 children in the study, similar analysis and multivariable, multivariable analysis identified similar risk factors as those of the adults, and the magnitude of the benefits of second-line immunotherapy was similar to the entire cohort. And for the entire series, the risk of relapses during the 24 months was 12%. Compared with initial episode, the relapses were usually less severe, and patients without a tumor had a higher frequency of relapses. And also the use of immunotherapy was associated with fewer relapses. My final question is uh, it's a two-part question. It starts with, uh, I'm just curious to know about the, sort of the, the main limitations of the study, and then if you could talk a little bit about what needs to be done next. Well, the study is not randomized. Uh, this study does not clarify, for example, whether any of the individual drugs used as first-line therapy or second-line therapy is better than the other, or whether a specific combination of these drugs works better than another. For example, this study does not clarify if plasma change is better than uh, intravenous immunoglobulin. Uh, therefore, a randomized study to clarify these questions is important. However, what the study clearly indicates is that when patients fail to respond to first-line immunotherapy, of which the most commonly used combination was IVIG and steroids, um, there is a clear benefit of second-line immunotherapy. This is very well demonstrated here. Another, another pending question is the duration of the treatment. The process of recovery uh, in this disease can take many months. Most patients are not longer treated with immunotherapy when they are discharged from hospitals to rehabilitation centers. Uh, it is unclear whether extended uh, intensive immunotherapies, like for example rituximab or cyclophosphamide, would uh, accelerate the recovery of these patients. And finally, uh, the titers of antibodies um, uh, help to make long-term treatment decisions, yes or not. We don't, we don't have the answer for this. Uh, for the corona study, the decision 
for second-line immunotherapy was made independently of the antibody titers because most patients who fail first-line immunotherapy continued with very poor scores in the modified ranking scale, regardless of the antibody titers. All of them had a score of 4 or 5. Um, however, the follow-up of titers may help to determine when to stop treatment or for how long to use treatment. Um, it has also some risks. In my experience, an obsession for treating the antibody titers uh, instead of the symptoms uh, can lead to unnecessary therapy. Uh, for example, it is not uncommon to detect antibodies in patients who have fully recovered. Uh, however, this is, however, um, not different from other antibody-mediated disorders. Joseph Delmao, thank you very much for speaking to the Lancet Neurology Podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, interesting uh, interview. Thank you.